Sermon number 621, preached in the First Presbyterian Church on Sunday, October 22, 1972. It is entitled, On the Jericho Road, and its text is taken from Luke, the 10th chapter. The sermon is given and dedicated to my fellow travelers who were with me for those glorious days that we spent together in the Holy Land. We dedicate it to the glory of God and to our trip together on the road to Jericho. It truly is wonderful to be back home. The Lord was very good to us. We're very grateful for a safe and significant journey in our lives. We thought of you people many times as we were so far across the sea. One week ago today, as you were drawing this service of worship to a close, which was going on here in Bakerstown, we gathered together for worship. It was almost five o'clock Rome time in a little cubicle in one of the catacombs underneath the ground in the great city of Rome. And there we sang triumphantly, just as you did back here, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And our thoughts and our prayers were with you people back here, as we know your thoughts and prayers were with us in the power of the Spirit. We had a great time, and I'm sure you'll be hearing many, many stories, most of which I hope will be true. But we praise God for the guidance and the safety which he has given and for our safe return home. I've been asked since returning to recall a few highlights that we enjoyed together. There were many, but there are two that stand out in my mind in this, my second trip to the Holy Land. The first took place last Sunday evening, as I rode in the back seat of a taxi cab at 50 miles an hour through the small, narrow ways and congested traffic of the city of Rome. That is an experience I shall never forget, but it has absolutely nothing to do with the trip. The second experience was what happened to us on the Jericho Road. And that has everything to do with our trip. To begin with, I would like to read to you a parable that Jesus told concerning that same Jericho road. It's found in Luke, the 10th chapter, and we begin to read at the 25th verse. Then a certain teacher of the law came up and tried to trap Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus answered him, what do the scriptures say? How do you interpret them? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. Your answer is correct, replied Jesus. Do this and you will live. 
But the teacher of the law wanted to put himself in the right, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When robbers attacked him, stripped him, and beat him up, leaving him half dead. It so happened that a priest was going down that road, and when he saw the man, he walked on by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite also came there, went over and looked at the man, and then walked on by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan who was traveling that way came upon him, and when he saw the man, his heart was filled with pity. He went over to him, poured oil and wine on his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own animal and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Take care of him, he told the innkeeper, and when I come back this way I will pay you back whatever you spend on him. And then Jesus concluded, Which one of these three seems to you to have been a neighbor to the man attacked by the robbers? The teacher of the law answered, The one who was kind to him. Jesus replied, You go then, and you do the same. The Jericho Road. It's still there. It still is the only road that connects Jerusalem with Jericho. It still is the only road that connects the span of 20 miles between those two cities. Though it is paved now, it still winds down through the same barren, rocky, deserted desert of a wilderness that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and King David, and John the Baptist, and Jesus, and all the other Old and New Testament personalities traveled and knew. It's quite a road. And we're on it many, many times. As we traveled for eight days, approximately a thousand miles by bus through that particular nation of Israel, which is approximately the size of the state of New Jersey, we traveled that Jericho Road many, many times to get to the different places of interest. And every time we traveled it, I could not personally help but think of this parable which you have just heard in your reading, and also to draw from that particular road lessons of remembrance and symbolically significant parallels that you and I experience as we travel the proverbial road of life. The Jericho Road and the proverbial road of life, they have much in common. And I am using that road today to help us to remember some eternal truths 
which we must remember upon the road of life, if it's ever to make sense, and if ever we are to come to the new Jerusalem in the life beyond. The first lesson that you learn from the Jericho Road, and which relates to the road of life, is that you can only travel one of two directions on both roads. Yes. When you're on the Jericho Road, you either have to go southwest and go up to the city of Jerusalem, or you travel northeast and go down to the city of Jericho. There is no other way. You either go up to Jerusalem or you go down to Jericho. There is a tremendous elevation difference between those two cities within a 20-mile span. Jerusalem, which is 2,300 feet above sea level, is much higher in elevation than is Jericho, which sits just beside the Dead Sea, which is the lowest spot on earth, 1,300 feet below sea level. And when you travel the 20 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho, you must drop in elevation 2,600 feet. So you see, when you are on the road, you either go up or you go down. When you are on the road, with every step that you take, every foot that you travel, you either are going up to Jerusalem or you go down to Jericho. And is not this the way it is in the road of life? With every thought that we think, every word that we speak, every deed that we do, we are either going one way or another. We are either going up in finding the meaning of humanity as God would have us to find it, or we are going down and away from the meaning of existence. Every day, we are either closer to God than we were before, or we are farther away. We are either greater in faith now than we were last week, or we have less faith than we had last week. No Christian lives a stagnant life. Every day of our existence we're either going up or we are going down in our relationship with God, as we know it through Jesus Christ. And we must never get into the idea that once we are Christian, that is all that is to matters. It is not. We are never completely Christian, and as Karl Barth says in one of his works of theology, we are only in the process of either becoming more Christian or less Christian, which is saying in our symbolic language, Today you are either headed towards Jerusalem or you are on your way down to Jericho. And we have the choice. And we must never forget that. 
And as we look at the Jericho Road in comparison with the Road of Life, we find not only that we have the ability to go up or go down, but we must also remember the eternal truth that it is always easier to go down than it is to go up. I don't care how you travel, whether it be on foot, on a bicycle, in an automobile, or on a bus, as we made the trip, you always get to Jer Jericho from Jeru Jerusalem with less effort and much quicker than you get from Jericho to Jerusalem. It takes a half an hour about on a bus to go down. It takes 45 minutes to go back up. And why? Simple law of physics, it's easier to go down than it is to go up. And so it is in our relationship with God and with our fellow man and with the meaning of humanity. That is, becoming the people that God would have us to be when individually he creates us. It's easier to fall away from that image than it is to come closer to it. We must never forget that. To me, the most damaging people today in the church and in the whole Christian religion are those individuals who would try to have us believe and teach that Christianity is easy. That there is no discipline and no hard work and no sacrifice required to be part of the kingdom of God. That's not true. And people who believe it and people who practice it, they're not on the way to Jerusalem. They're on the way to Jericho. It's tough to be a Christian. It's very difficult to love the unlovable. To forgive that which many think is unforgivable. To help the ungrateful. And to live a life in the city of peace. Peace with God, with yourself, with your fellow man, and with all the world. That's difficult. May we never forget that it was down near Jericho, in the Jordan River, which is just beyond the ancient city of Jericho, that Jesus was baptized. And after the baptism, he went into the wilderness, and we think it was around the place of Jericho that Jesus was tempted in that wilderness. And for 40 days, he knew what it was to be tempted. And the Gospels tell us that the only thing that enabled Jesus to get out of Jericho and eventually to turn his face and go to Jerusalem was his training in the scriptures, his discipline over his own body and mind, and also the sacrifice that he was willing to make and give not up to hunger and to popularity, but instead to say, I will worship God and him only will I serve. Our Lord got out of Jericho and climbed to Jerusalem only because of discipline and of training and of awaiting upon the Spirit of God which empowered him and led him to that holy city. Never get the idea that it is easy and just something you can do when you want to do it to become a Christian. That's not true. 
It's hard. And it's difficult. And anyone who thinks not has never tried it and is probably not Christian himself. We can go up or down, up to Jerusalem or down to Jericho. We learn also and must never forget that it's easier to go to Jericho than it is to Jerusalem. And then we should never forget that on the Jericho road there are all kinds of people. All kinds. And Jesus in this parable subdivides all kinds of people into four categories. And he feels, and I think he's right, that all people on all roads of life can be divided into the same four categories. First of all, there are the helpless. And the helpless we always have with us, those people who through their own stupidity, their own lack of thinking, or maybe perhaps no fault of their own, they're cast aside. They're hurt. They're bleeding. They're of absolutely no help to themselves or anyone else. And they're crying for need. They're on the Jericho Road and they're on the road of life. And we have those people with us all the time, those who are helpless. And secondly, we have those who are the hurters. Those individuals who deliberately rob and steal and persecute other people and who have no regard either for their own or anyone else's life. Those people who want to come and take only for self and care not a thing about anyone else. You have the helpless and you have the hurters. And then you also have the hypocrites. They're, they're on the Jericho Road and they're on the road of life today. Those individuals who look good, who sound good, but who do no good whatsoever. Those individuals who may have long flowing robes and who may be on their way to church, but when they come upon someone who is in need, or when they see some injustice, or when they see some wrong, they merely turn their heads and pass by on the other side. They don't get disturbed. They don't get their hands dirty. They don't take the time. They're the hypocrites of life. They're on the Jericho Road, we have them today as well. And then, thank God, on the Jericho Road and on the road of life, there are the helpers. The helpers. The individuals who take time and who take effort, who worry not so much about themselves as they are doing unto others what they would want others to do unto them. Individuals who may not look just the way we would like them to look, people who may be a little bit unorthodox to our way of thinking, but people who are willing to stop and help and who eventually heal in the world. These are the kind of people that are on the road of life. We must never forget it. And those of us who are on the Jericho Road and who are also trying to travel the road of life, I don't think we shall ever forget it because of what happened to us a week ago last Tuesday. We were up at 5.30 a.m. 
had breakfast at six and we were in our bus ready to leave the St. George Hotel in Jerusalem at seven. That day we were going up into the hill country to the Sea of Galilee to where Jesus did so much of his preaching and teaching. We traveled the more than 100 miles that early morning by bus. We were there before noon. We looked at the environs. And then by the Sea of Galilee in a little restaurant, we ate our lunch overlooking the sea, and we had St. Peter's fish with the head and tail and everything else. <laughs> After lunch, by bus, we went around the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. And there we visited the remains of the first century synagogue where we think Jesus taught. And we looked at the Mount of Beatitudes, the hillside where Jesus was supposed to have done so much of his teaching and his healing. And then we got into a little motorboat that had a little trouble getting started. But then we sailed from Capernaum to Tiberias, across the Sea of Galilee, following perhaps the same route Jesus and his disciples followed many times. Halfway across, we had the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And with a big loaf of bread that had been baked by Arabs, which we had bought the city of Nazareth, I broke that bread, we poured that cup into these pilgrims crossing the sea. We ate of that body and drank of that cup in remembrance of our Lord. When we got to Tiberias, it was getting late in the afternoon. We looked around there. Then we went down to the mouth of the Jordan River as it comes out of the Sea of Galilee. And there some of our brave souls began to wade in the Jordan River while others gathered water in jars and pop bottles and ketchup bottles to bring back home. And then we were told by our Jewish guide that we would have to hurry because we were taking a road back to Jerusalem, which was rather dangerous. It had been a road that had been closed for the last four years since the Six-Day War in 1967. We would be traveling just parallel a few hundred yards to the Jordan River, the whole way from the Sea of Galilee down to Jericho, north of the Dead Sea. We would have to hurry because the road would be open only during the day, because at night it was closed with big gates every few miles. The Israeli soldiers were to guard that area at night because, you see, the Jordan River is the border between Israel and Jordan, great enemies today in the Middle East. We got on the road. There was no other traffic. Our bus was perhaps the lone vehicle, and I must admit, it was kind of frightening when you could look across to our left in the few hundred yards between the road and, and the Jordan River, and we were told that that whole field was planted with landmines in case the Jordanians ever would want to attack. We looked on the hillside over here on the right, and there you could see big guns pointed over across the Jordan River to Jordan. Every once in a while we would come upon a troop of military Israeli soldiers who were beginning to station themselves for the night watch. 
And every time we passed through another gate on that road and the sun was sinking further, further in the west, I wasn't quite sure whether or not we would make it to the next gate before it would close. For two hours, a hundred miles, we traveled down that stretch. And really, I don't think any of us said too many words when we realized that we were right on the line which separated enemies who hate one another with such a passion. At long last, around six o'clock, we got to Jericho, and I breathed a sigh of relief. And then Aton, our Hebrew bus driver, shifted into low, low gear. And as we came out of Jericho, we began to climb the 2,600 feet, the 20-mile trip to Jerusalem. And some of our people began to doze. After all, we had been on the road since 7 a.m., and now it was after 6 p.m. Everything was going fine, and we were thinking of the delicious Arab dinner that we were going to have in another two hours. When suddenly Aton pulled the giant bus off to the side of the road. We had been attacked not by robbers, but by a nail in the tire. <laughs> And it was flat. If you've ever been on the Jericho Road at about 6.45 at night, just a few stars, no moon, with a bus that wouldn't go, and 36 wonderful compatriots, all of whom with you knew not what to do. I must admit I got a little anxious remembering that it was only a few miles from that place when the late Bishop Pike left the road, the Jericho Road, in his automobile, which eventually broke down. He lost his way, and you'll remember it was in that area. A few days later, his body was found, and he was dead. I really didn't know what was going to happen as we tried to laugh a little bit, and as though we were frightened, as well in the depths of our souls, when suddenly up behind us stopped another bus on that hill. Our Hebrew guide went back to ask if they could lend us help, and they did more than that. They offered to drive us back to Jerusalem. It was a 44-passenger bus that had come to our rescue, and it was filled with 40 people, all Swedes. <laughs> and they invited us to get our 37 plus our guide onto their bus. And I don't know how we did it, but did it, we did. I was the last one on. They finally got the door closed behind me. Three of us were standing on one step of the bus. I was standing with one foot on the step and the other foot on my imagination. <laughs> And we looked to these people, few of whom could speak no English, and none of us could speak Swedish. And the pastor of that group could speak a few words. He said that they were going to sing to us their national song. It was beautiful. The bus continued to grind up the hill with more than 80 people on board that 44-passenger bus. When they were finished singing, we clapped, and we returned their concert by singing America the Beautiful. I would say so myself, it was pretty good. 
They sang another song, and then we sang the battle hymn of the Republic. By this time, we were smiling and laughing and enjoying one another's company, even though we couldn't understand each other. We sang, I believe it was Onward Christian Soldiers, the same tune, but they in the Swedish language and we in the English language. And then when it was all over, we joined in singing a peace song with Hebrew words, which we tried to learn all together. By this time, we were in Jerusalem. They turned out of their way to drive us to our hotel. And then we began to literally just sprawl out of that bus. You never heard such noise, such utterances, different languages. I think that's the closest I will ever come to experiencing the noise and the confusion and the many tongues which there was at Pentecost. Our people were shaking hands, those people were smiling, we were exchanging notes and greetings, waving as the bus pulled out. And though our bodies were very tired, our spirits were lifted, and as we walked into the lobby of the St. George Hotel, to us, the parable of the Good Samaritan was just not a story in the Bible. It was an experience of life. And those of us who were there, going up to Jerusalem, shall never forget that on the road to Jericho, as well as on the road of life, there are always the good Samaritans. And if all of us who are trying to go to the new Jerusalem and who are working with our discipline and endeavors and sacrifices to get there, if we could only this day individually dedicate ourselves to be a helper in life, there will be even more Samaritans 